Hey everyone, it's Ryan, your host of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. This is a podcast where I sit down with some amazing people from all over the world who have a story to share, experiences we can learn from, and knowledge in areas that we can apply to our lives to help make us happier and overall just better people. Each episode has a different topic with information in all different areas, but each aimed at helping you understand this journey we call life just a little better and from a different perspective. We'll touch on everything from nutrition, mindset, mental health, relationships, to travel and adventure, and much, much more. And I'll even experiment with some advice and information along the way to see how it affects me along my own pursuit of happiness. And don't forget, if you love this episode or any other episode, please subscribe and leave a review so that way I can keep bringing you so many more amazing guests and great content. So speaking of amazing guests and great content, on this episode, I welcome Fran Whitfield. Wow, what a mind-blowing episode that you really have to listen to. Honestly, from start to finish, she has quite the story to share Fran is a personal trainer living an amazingly healthy life. She's a vegetarian, so she eats really well. And a few years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Not only that, she was also initially sent home by the doctor thinking it was just a normal hormone, just a normal lump. A year and a half later, she returned to the doctors to only find out that the cancer had spread to her brain and she had to have immediate brain surgery to remove the tumor. Now, this is only a part of her story. She also goes into how she had paralysis from lifting just before all of this happened, so she couldn't even move or walk. She had to have spinal surgery. On top of that, we really get into the details of chemotherapy, what it does to your body, how you feel, and what I love is how open and vulnerable she is about her mindset during all of this. From her initial anger, when she found out she actually had cancer and was sent home by the doctor, all the way to the shock and awe of being told you have two to three years to live. I can't imagine being told that. So I really wanted to get her perspective on how that would actually make someone feel. She also talks about all the new technology and medicine that's actually currently being used on her today. There are so many cancer research breakthroughs that are happening before our eyes and she's getting to experience that to help her fight and she's honestly doing so much better. It was really nice to know that she has a lot of hope for a bright future. She's kicking this thing in the ass, and I'm so happy to hear that. The information in my conversation with Fran is, like I said, mind-blowing. She is awesome. She is a warrior. And if you have cancer or know anyone that does, this is such an amazing conversation for you to listen to. I highly recommend you go on Instagram and follow Fran Whitfield. It's at Fran Whitfield, and you can see her very vulnerable and open story on how she's dealing with cancer every day. This conversation is honestly just such a great reminder to be grateful for the things we do have because you never know if a doctor may tell you you only have two to three years to live or, God forbid, even less than that. All right, I feel like I've talked too much already, but I just wanted to give Fran the introduction that she deserves for being so open and honest in this conversation, and she will inspire you and inform you in this podcast. So without further ado, here is Fran Whitfield.
So Fran, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking time to sit down and talk about your very personal story, but it's a story that I'm going to learn a lot from. Um, I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from and perhaps even, even relate to, or this could be, this is a conversation that could come up later in life. You, You just never know. Everybody seems to know somebody with cancer. If it's not themselves, it's someone they know. And I, you know, you've been really open and, and honest and vulnerable with your story on Instagram, which I think is a is honestly a huge help to so many people. And I'm hoping this is just another okay. platform to help tell your story. So I'm really interested in getting to know you. And uh, first and foremost, thank you. How are you? How are you doing today? Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm um, well, I'm better today. I had my second COVID vaccine yesterday, uh, two days ago. So it's been oh. a little bit of a ropey, ropey couple of days. Um, but I'm hit? happy to be fully, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I get pretty hit like hard with the side effects. But um, today is a good day. Today I'm feeling a lot better and it's nice to be, to know that I'm fully covered now. That's awesome. Um, which is good, yeah. Which one did you get? I got the AstraZeneca one. AstraZeneca, uh, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which the, yeah, they're not kind of, I think they're now switching over to um, the Moderna one now. So not that many people are going to be getting the AstraZeneca anymore. Okay. So, um, but that's so the one that I got. You can tell from your accent, obviously, where are you located exactly? <laughs> I'm in London. In London. There you go. Yeah, I am in the, yeah, I am bang in the center of London. Um, pretty much just by the Thames. So Okay. As London as London gets. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I, it's a place yeah. I still need to visit, but I hear really good things about, and I know we have direct flights from Raleigh to London and you just got you guys, we got to yeah, open our borders. Should. You got to open our borders. Yes. Here, I'll go. Yeah. I'll go. Yeah. As yeah. soon as, yeah, as soon as that happens, definitely put it on your list of places to go. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like AstraZeneca come is when the- it's warm. Which yeah, is rare. Which is rare. But in the summer. <laughs> you got I'm it. in the summer, not in the winter. <laughs> you got it. Is AstraZeneca, I feel like, is the European vaccine, right? I don't think it's over here in America yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's the Oxford one, Oxford University, which is in the UK here. So Okay. Yeah, it's the one from here, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're over the second shot, and I'm glad you're feeling much better. Uh, I, yeah. I guess- yeah, I'm glad we didn't have to deal with a uh, not feeling well, Fran, because of the second COVID show. No, yeah, I was a little bit worried. Yes, I was like, oh God, how am I going to be on this? But um, but no, feeling. Yeah, uh, I was very very foggy brain yesterday. That's for sure. You would not have probably got much of a conversation out of me. So that's it's wonderful. good that we're uh, yeah we're back on track today. Wonderful. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm in, in general I'm glad you're feeling uh, well and up to this. Um, you've been posting yeah. a lot of of what you've been going through. Uh, on your Instagram, which is honestly one of the one of the ways that I found you, um, with my podcast being called "The Pursuit of Happiness," um, there's a lot of struggles that come, you know, with that, um, and a mm. lot of it's understanding what people are going through, and you know, cancer is such a large part of many, many people's lives and knowing how to perhaps deal with that better if that news does happen to you or to a loved one or someone close. Um, Mm. my, the only, the only real kind of connection I've had to cancer is my grandmother passed away. Uh, I think eight, eight years ago now from pancreas, uh, pancreatitis cancer, but I was living 10 hours away Mm. here in North Carolina. So I didn't see a lot 
of what she was going yeah. through. It was just occasional phone calls and stuff. And yeah. So, you know, I want to have a conversation with you and I want you to tell your story and it's going to be so helpful for me to understand, um, you know, the whole process, you know, what you're going through and, you know, it, it's going to help people to kind of be relatable to their loved ones or friends or, you know what, keep a positive attitude, which you've done, which is awesome. I'm going to ask you questions about that. So I'm going to stop talking here. I would, <laughs> I would love for you to kind of maybe backtrack and, and kind of tell your background yeah. and get to your story. Yeah. Um, so my story initially began back in 2019. So we're going back a couple of years ago now in January, 2019. Um, I was 24 personal trainer, um, healthy lifestyle trained you know, a couple times a day, six days a week. Um, I was training for Ironman at the time. So I was pretty much probably in the best shape of my life. Um, and it was, yeah, in January, I found, I discovered one evening, uh, that I had a lump in my right breast. Um, I just kind of like, I came upon it. It was really, it was very random. Um, my cat actually was like, he was incessantly padding on me and I was just trying to like push him away. And it was as I pushed him away that I then just caught, um, and I felt a lump. And it was painful at the time. So when I hit it, I was like, oh, that's quite painful. Yeah. And then I then felt it and I was like, okay, hey, that's definitely a, a lump. So obviously I was very concerned about it. Freaked out a little bit that night. Um, so the following morning, booked in to see the GP, got an emergency uh, appointment to see the GP, went and saw her the same day. She then investigated it, felt it, confirmed that, yes, there was definitely a lump there. So she then referred me to go and get an ultrasound. So seven days after that, I went and got an ultrasound, well, went to go and get an ultrasound. When I went in, though, the woman that I saw, she felt it, said to me that I was 24, that hormonal lumps at my age are very common, that I was young. Um, I didn't need the ultrasound because it was a hormonal lump. It wasn't anything to worry about and that I was normal. And that was that. So that was back in January 2019. So for 18 months, I lived my life thinking that it was normal, that it was nothing to worry about. It was still there. I could still feel it. Um, but I just didn't really think much of it, I suppose. Um, and it to me, it wasn't like I could feel it, um, but it wasn't to me getting much bigger. But the problem was that it was actually growing inside so it wasn't growing externally it wasn't growing outwards it was growing back in so I never kind of got a true idea of how big the lump was actually growing um so then last year um obviously the pandemic hit and in and I started to get a lot of pain I was experiencing quite a lot of pain where um the lump was I had researched into side effects and things of hormonal lumps like the, the, the doctor had told me that it was and one of those can be pain it can be um, a side effect of that if it has started to kind of latch onto the skin and things like that you can get pain so I was like okay stop worrying about it you know this medical professional has told me it's a hormonal lump the kind of the side effects do sort of match up I suppose in that in that sense but um then I then started, but I did, I, you know, it was kind of a niggle, I guess, always in the back of my mind, it was a niggle that I just really wasn't happy with it. Um, and then in May last year, it was around the time that I was, I was thinking, oh, no, I really want to get this checked, but the pandemic had hit and, um, you know, that sort of 
kind of I was really I was quite worried I suppose to go and see the GP and also it was very difficult to get a doctor's appointment at that time um I was in my garden one day was exercising was doing a deadlift uh had a bit of an accident and I paralyzed my left leg so um in that one moment was just doing a deadlift herniated a disc in my spine and my left side of my leg was paralyzed so for eight weeks in from that point that kind of took my focus a lot um so I then had emergency spinal surgery I regained my movement but it took you know a lot of rehab um I was in a lot of pain with that so that took my focus off of anything else that was going on I suppose um so then eight weeks later just shy of eight weeks in July last year um I was in the shower one day and I noticed that I had a dimple with the skin where that lump was um and again, the, the doctor that I saw previously back in January in 2019, uh, that was one of the, like, the symptoms that you can get with a hormonal lump is you can get dimpling again if it does start to let onto the skin. So I kind of was in this two minds of, do I go and get this checked? Because she's told me that it's normal. She's told me that it's fine. Am I wasting doctor's time? Uh, we're in this pandemic. You know, I don't want to waste the doctor's time. Um, they're obviously, you know, they're, they're under it as much as it is, but I just really wasn't comfortable with what was happening. So booked in, um, I went and got a rapid diagnostics test. So went in, saw a consultant, he felt it. And then he asked me to then come and sit back down on the chair. When he said that, to be honest, I literally was just, I wanted to say, sorry. I wanted to say like, I'm sorry, I've wasted your time. I thought he was going to say to me, it's absolutely nothing. The same as the doctor had done before. But he actually then said to me, you need to go next door and I need you to have an ultrasound and a biopsy taken um, with the radiologist that's next door and then come back and see me. So I was like, okay, maybe this is routine. This is part of the rapid diagnostic, maybe. So I went in, um, had that done same day. And then when I went back through to him, he then said to me that I will get the results in three days time. When I come back to collect those results, I need to bring a chaperone with me. Um, and it was at that moment that I just, you know, I could see the look in his eye and the fact that he said that I needed to bring someone with me, that he said that I needed someone that I felt comfortable with, that I trusted. Um, and essentially someone that I was happy to be in a room with me to collect what he believed was not going to be very good news. Um, so for those three days, I... I just kind of knew, to be honest, I had it in my gut. I was like, I know this is not going to be good. As much as people can try and say to you, you know, just, you know, stay positive. It's going to be fine. Like it's not, they have to say that. Um, in my gut, I was like, they don't have to say that. Like he, I know that he said this for a reason. Obviously he's an expert in this. Um, and it was. So three days later, I was then diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, initially, when he then gave me the results, they said to me that from the biopsy that was taken, it was a grade two non-aggressive breast cancer, which was good at my age. Now I was 25. Um, so, and usually at that age, the tumors can be very aggressive because your cells are constantly multiplying and dividing and regenerating. So usually if you do get cancer at a young age, it can be very aggressive. So at the start, um, he said, it's good news, it's curable, it's non-aggressive, we can tackle this. But as a routine, they wanted me to get a CT and an MRI just to make sure that, um, that it hadn't spread anywhere else, that my lymph nodes were clear. 
So I went and had my CT and my MRI. Then the CT came back to say that my lymph nodes were completely clear, absolutely fine, nothing wrong in there. But there was a mass in my liver, which they were they were a little bit concerned about. Um, so they then sent me off again for a liver MRI and a PET scan. So PET scan all the way from my head to my toe, just to, again, he wanted to just cover all bases and make sure, which I'm incredibly grateful that I actually, that he did do that. Um, because the liver MRI came back to suggest that it was benign, but in the PET scan that I had, it then flashed up activity in my brain. So he said to me, you know, have you had any side effect? Like, have you had any headaches, dizziness, anything like that, that you can report? I was absolutely not. I was, you know, apart from my back, obviously I was in the best shape. I was doing CrossFit. I was doing CrossFit in my garden. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. I vegetarian, um and I was feeling absolutely fine there was you know nothing wrong with me in the sense of I, I didn't feel unwell I did never had headaches never had anything of the sort so it was a very confusing uh, question for you know to get um but then I then was referred then for a brain MRI which then came back to show that I had a two sentiment two centimeter tumor um that was located just behind my right eye essentially um and it was growing out of my skull um and so the oncologist that I had at the time um said to me that if this had if this was going to come back and say that the tumor was secondary to my breast that she was essentially giving me about two years to live um and I remember clear as day sitting in that room and hearing those words that she was essentially giving me two to three years she would hope 10 at best, but we were looking at more two to three. Um, so I went home that day thinking, well, what earth do I do by the time I'm 27 years old? And at best, she's saying to me, 10 years time, that makes me 35. What do you expect to do with your life by the time you're 35? And I had so many you know, dreams, aspirations, career goals that I really wanted to hit and achieve. And I'm quite an OCD, very aspirational person I'm kind of like I have my goals set on my yearly basis and I was like well that scuppers everything um so and that was all within two weeks so two weeks from my diagnosis until two weeks to be told I now have potentially secondary breast cancer and I'm getting two years given to me on a time um so I was then taken in for brain surgery so I had brain surgery uh within four days of finding this out um, they literally were like, bang, straight in, let's get it out. I had an incredible neurosurgeon that I'm very, very thankful for that said to me, yes, I can get this out. I can take it out. We can test it in the lab um, um, so we can be sure what this is. So went in for my brain surgery, um, which was pretty freaky doing that in the pandemic. Um, you kind of, you can't, you don't have any visitors. You're not allowed any visitors. I literally, you know, said my goodbyes at the door of the hospital and went in on my own um, to have my brain surgery done. Um, and then it was it was successful. So I was in ICU for um, not that long, actually. I was only in ICU for 24 hours. I was determined to get out. I wanted to see my family. Um, so two days after having brain surgery, I was up and out. Um, and I walked out of that hospital. I was like, I'm not, I'm not staying. <laughs> I'm not hacking around. Um, but then unfortunately, two weeks later, the results came back in to say, yes, it was secondary. So obviously at that time you have a lot of anger towards the initial person. You know, I was fobbed off pretty badly two years ago. 
Um, and it is spread. So then it was a case of, well, what on earth do I do now? I'm not having someone tell me that I've only got two years um, and I want to fight this. But to be able to fight it, I need to find someone that's going to fight this with me. So I moved over. I sent all of my documents and everything over to a hospital that's in London, that's a specialised cancer hospital. They looked at my case. They referred me to the person that they thought was the best to deal with it. Um, and he is absolutely incredible. He's a professor in breast cancer and he has been unbelievable. And the first meeting I had with him, he completely restored my hope. And yes, secondary is really crap, but um, he still is fighting every treatment that I've had so far with curative intent. Um, and we're not letting that go. So I went from basically being put on palliative treatment by my old oncologist um, and just kind of essentially trying to elongate my life for as long as possible to someone now that's actually saying to me no I still want to try and cure this um my cancer is weird I'm very strange I'm a bit of a medical anomaly but hopefully we can kind of use that to my advantage and um might actually be able to get to the end goal obviously promises can't be promises but that's what we're striving for at the moment so that was, uh, yeah, August, I had my brain surgery and then chemotherapy started in October. It was actually the day after my 26th birthday. So it was a um, great way to celebrate. Um, but I started chemo. We had six months of very aggressive chemo um, that finished in March. And then this week, I've just finished radiotherapy to my skull. So I had a pretty funky uh, radiotherapy machine. It's called CyberKnife. Um, it's quite a new technology, but it's absolutely incredible what they can do. It basically pinpoints exactly where they need to hit it because the worrying thing with mine is it's right next to my optic nerve. So obviously they want to preserve my sight. Um, but with this machine, it meant that they could literally pinpoint exactly where that tumor was. And, um, and then, so we did that. So, uh, I've just finished, yeah, radiotherapy this week. Um, and then I'll be starting a new trial drug. Well, it's been signed off on a clinical trial, um, so it's not essentially a trial drug, but it's a new drug, and I'll be starting that in a couple of weeks' time, um, which is being used for patients with advanced cancer. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat in the background. He's <laughs> your, cat is a, your cat is a hero in my eyes. Your cat can yeah, make I know. The, yeah, He's fine. like, I'm featuring. I was the one that found him. Let me talk. Um yeah, so essentially in a not very, I tried to make that as concise as possible. It's quite a long story. Um, but yeah, essentially that is where I'm at today and um, what has happened up until that point. So yeah, pretty, pretty heavy story. But yeah. you know, we're still here. We're still kicking. We're still going. <laughs> I mean, obviously that's the most important thing. And there's things we'll touch on in your story that I'm really interested in getting to know. Yeah. Um, so today you are still fighting, but it seems mm -hmm. more hopeful than it was, we'll say a year ago, correct? Yes. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much more hopeful. Like, yeah, promises can't be promises, but we, but we are still striving for that curative intent. Um, we're kind of just bombarding me with every treatment that we can um, and quite aggressive dosages of those treatments. Um, but all with the intent of hopefully one day we can get that, get the words that I am cancer free. If, if everything that's, that's goes according to plan, which is obviously we're all hopeful of, when do you think like the treatments will start to taper off and die down for you? 
Um, so in terms of, I'm going to be on hormonal treatment for at least five years. So that's not going to end. Um, so my, my cancer is hormone responsive. So it's estrogen and progesterone positive, but HER2 negative. Um, it means that basically my estrogen and my progesterone are feeding my cancer. Mm. So to stop that from happening, they block the hormones. So I'm on cancer, I'm on uh, hormone drugs at the moment, which uh, called tamoxifen. It's just a tablet that I take every day and that basically stops um, my estrogen from getting produced. I've been on that now for about six weeks. Um, well, yeah, coming out for two months now. Um, and I have injections as well once a month, which is like an implant. Um, and then that shuts my ovaries down. So essentially at the ripe age of 23, um, 23, 26, I'm going through the menopause. Mm. Um, but they hope though that once I come off of that treatment that it will reverse so I'm not I'm kind of pre-menopausal I suppose at the moment I get all the lovely feelings and side effects of going through the menopause um Mm. but hopefully that'll reverse but I will be doing this for the next at least five years um so the tamoxifen and the injections that I get they'll be going on for at least five years sometimes it can be 10 but it's going to be a case of seeing what happens with my you know, my body and what comes back in the scans that I have. They'll be scanning me left, right and centre um, very regularly. So as the longer I go between scans without nothing showing up, the more positive they are that we are fighting this. Um, so I'm hoping that after five years, I'll be able to come off of these drugs. But in terms of invasive treatment, um, that's pretty much done now. So now I'm just on the daily medication. Okay. Um, so I've done the radiotherapy. So I'm on the daily medication. Um, I haven't had surgery yet because they actually decided that they're going to keep the tumor in my breast. It's shrunk massively during um, chemo. So to start off with, it was the size of a lime. So it had grown pretty huge. It's about five centimeters. Um, so yeah, like a lime size. It was pretty big. Um, but it's now oh, like shrunk over half. So we've hit it pretty hard with um, the chemo and now they're not actually even sure. Like there are still cancer cells in there, but like, cause we had another biopsy to show it, but on the PET scan, it's tiny. So it's really successful treatment that I've had um, from chemo, but we're going to keep it in there so that with the new drug that I'm going on, we can just watch and see what happens with this drug and whether it works. Obviously if it continues to shrink, we know this drug works. Right. Um, so, and I think a lot of people are quite, that is kind of something that leaves people with a lot of anxiety when it comes down to cancer in, in terms of thinking that you've still got this tumor in your body. It's like this foreign body that you want to get out and you rush into surgery, but I can see the warrant in it. And I know that it's safe because I'm on the tamoxifen every day, which is keeping it at bay. Um, and it's our way of being able to see whether this new drug is going to work. Otherwise we wouldn't really have any kind of indicator. Um, so yeah, so in terms of the surgery, that's getting like postponed um so that we can monitor the drug so at some point i may have surgery but for now the invasive treatment has ended um and so now it's just going to be a case of tablets daily tablets and constant scans um and then hopefully in those five years i might be able to then come off of that hormonal treatment and then reverse it well well, obviously, I'm happy to hear that it sounds like you're turning the corner here. Like you said, no promises, but 
I'm happy to hear that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of promise there. Are you kind of nervous to leave the tumor in there? Is there any downside to that? Um, no, like I'm very trustworthy of my team. Um, so my oncology team are very good and they've all reassured me that there is no, um, threat in keeping the breast tumor in. The, The thing is because mine's secondary already. So as rough as this sounds, like it's already done what it wanted to do. So the cancer itself, like the tumor in my breast, it's already spread. So cancer wants to spread. It wants to multiply. It wants to, you know, kind of like take over your body. It's evil. Um, so it's already done that. It's already gone into my blood. It's already spread up and, you know, it went into my skull. So the we've, and we've removed that. So we've removed the, the life-threatening tumor that was in my skull um and the one that's then in my breast which is where it started from it's kind of essentially redundant now it can't it can't spread anymore because it already has done so if it was to crop up anywhere else in my body which unfortunately is just something that can happen in someone that's got secondary cancer it's not the tumor in your breast that's done that it's the fact that it has already entered the blood so as soon as it enters the bloodstream and then it's spread somewhere else and you kind of potentially might have microcells of cancer in other areas of your body that's why they 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 label secondary cancer as incurable because um of that reason that it could potentially crop up in other areas of your body um but it just so like the that's why I'm not worried about leaving it in there as an indicator because I know that it's actually not going to do anything because it can't spread anywhere else so if it, whatever reason it was to come up somewhere else, it would be the fact that it's in my skull or it was in my skull. And it's there that's kind of like tackled it. But we fought that. We've cut that out. I've had radiotherapy. That's hopefully at bay now. That's done. Um, and so we're going to be constantly watching and hoping that that doesn't come back. So they're going to constantly be watching to make sure that the tumor in my skull doesn't come back. But in terms of my breast tumor, um, it's not threatening. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to spread anywhere. Um, Because as I say, it's already done that. It's contained, like the drugs that I'm on, um, the tamoxifen that I'm on stops it from actually being able to do anything because of the fact that it's hormone responsive. It's not feeding it anymore. Um, It's not getting its source that it wants because those drugs are stopping it. So I'm not concerned about leaving it in um and yeah it's not it's not posing a a threat to my life but actually it's just helping us to be able to see whether or not the treatment I'm going to be going on is going to be working the same as chemo like there's two ways of doing it you can either have surgery and remove the tumor and then have chemo after which is some sometimes how they do it um mine was the reverse so mine was called a non-adjuvant technique which is where they do so like technically they would do surgery after chemo and they keep it in so that they can see if the chemo is working. So obviously if you remove the tumor before you have chemo, you'll never know if actually the chemo was doing its job. Um, Whereas because they kept it in and I went on to chemotherapy and I was be scanned every month. And then we were able, able to see from the ultrasounds that I was having on my breast that every month the tumor was shrinking further and further down. So we knew that the drugs that I was on for the chemo and the dosage was correct. Um, so yeah, so it's basically that kind of concept, um, but it's not posing a threat to my life. So as much as I would love to be able to just kind of like get it out because it's the, you know, 
the nasty Mm -hmm. evil being that could like kind of put me in this situation um there is definite warrant to keep it in just for the medical purposes to be able to see that actually I'm not on a drug that is going to kind of potentially give me some pretty like iffy side effects for no reason what is the indicator I was gonna ask what's the indicator to know that it's done spreading is the fact that it's shrinking is the fact that you're on a medicine yeah yeah so um the indicator of the drugs working is whether or not it's gonna shrink the tumor even more Mm -hmm. so if it if they can see that it's going down in size then they know that the drug that i'm on is working for my cancer and if it's working on the breast then it's working potentially if there are any other cells anywhere else in my body um then they know that it's going to be working on that okay so by that then they know that we are cutting the chance of it um cropping up anywhere else in my body that's awesome okay so let's go kind of back to the beginning if yeah if this lady had just said not as she not said what she said and you got tested do you know mm-hmm. if they would have found it that day? I mean, I'm sure that's hard to think about. It's one of those things where you might as well not think about it, but I'm just curious. Oh, no, I've asked it plenty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially, yes. They said to me that when I was 24, like I've said to them, you know, how long has this been growing? For a tumor of my size, going off of the genetic testing that I had in terms of um, like that showed how aggressive this cancer was, how long has it been in there? And the original consultant that I saw that diagnosed me said that I would be looking at probably it was, it's been growing since I was about 22, about mm-hmm. 22, 23. So when I went there at 24, if they had done the ultrasound and they had done a biopsy of the lump, then obviously they can't say a hundred percent, but he was saying, yes, it, it would have most likely come back to say, Yes, it is cancer because it's been in there for quite a few years. Um, So obviously they try and, you know, I think they try and be quite like diplomatic. But essentially he did say to me, yeah, if you had got this, he was like, you are completely well within your right to be incredibly pissed off right now. Because, yes, it would have been found to be cancer if they had done the tests. What favor was she trying to do you like save you time, save money? Like what was the purpose of not just going through the procedure? Yeah, I think I think there was a lot of things going on that day. I remember when I turned up, they were running late. They were running an hour behind schedule. Apparently the trains were delayed. I remember going in there and her saying that she was in a massive fluster and she kind of seemed like annoyed that I was there. I think she was having a very bad day. Um, but it just kind of seemed like, you know, get in, check it, nope, you're fine, just get out. And it was like a two-minute appointment. It was literally just feel it, nope, you're fine um there's a part of me that's always thought were you cost saving which you know if that's the case I an ultrasound in my opinion does not cost that much and does it really cost the life of someone I really don't think so I mean especially Um, if you're talking just finances look at what you're paying now and you know what I mean look what everything costs now since then so that doesn't make any sense yeah yeah I know. And, you know, an ultrasound isn't that expensive, like mammograms and MRIs and stuff. Yes. Okay. But an ultrasound can show you, you know, like it it was proven, you know, in back when I got my results last in in, uh, July last year, that's the test that they did to show it. They did an ultrasound. She looked at the ultrasound. It looks suspicious on the ultrasound. So she did a biopsy. Um, And that's all that needed to be done. And 
there must yeah. have just been a big like are you kidding me i was here to do this before and now i'm here to do it again like yeah yeah and it's and the, the sad reality of it is like after being so open about my story um is hearing how many people this has happened to um particularly young people it's scary how many young people this happens to because it tends to be a thing of young people don't get cancer so you're fine um and it's not true young people definitely do get cancer and you know I've really plugged now this whole like cancer doesn't discriminate against age lifestyle um and neither should the medical system no one should discriminate against it um it's obvious like I'm living proof and there are many people out there that are living proof that cancer happens to literally anyone unfortunately one in two people will get cancer now it's the terrifying statistic um and yeah you know if that test had been done and I hadn't been fobbed off I'd be in a very very different situation that I am now um but it's a scary reality that it is happening and it continues to happen, but I'm hoping that by spreading my story and spreading my message that we can stop this from happening and that they can take it more seriously and mm -hmm. that early diagnosis happens more um, and people don't end up in this, uh, you know, having a similar story to this one. This is uh, one of the many things I think many of us are going to learn is, you know, just because someone kind of writes you off doesn't necessarily mean forget about it. Um, what yeah. advice if, so if, if someone were going to the doctor, well, you know, just before or after listening to this, um, and they kind of mm. turned away like you, what advice would you give for them? Um, I would say that if it's someone that has gone and that the, they have just been felt checked, um, and they're not, and you know, being told that it's fine and they are not comfortable with it, then insist on getting a scan. Um, it doesn't take much time, you know, it doesn't cost that much. Um, and it is hundred percent worth it just for peace of mind. Even if that scan mm -hmm. and that biopsy comes back to say that it's clear, at least, you know, that it's clear, but I generally think that if you go and you just get felt and then turned out the door, like I do, it's always going to be in the back of your mind. Like, is it, is it okay? Um, and yeah, I think it's, you know, more and more, I'm just pushing people to set like to, to stand their ground and to say no I'm not happy like I'm not happy getting sent back out this door um I really want to have further investigative tests um and it's well within your you know right to be able to have those tests and to get it done um so yeah 100% like it, and also because it's it's scary enough I suppose as someone um to initially go there um it's a big deal for you to you know to go there and to get your boobs out or to get whatever body part it is that you're having to expose I suppose like you know to someone um and so that's why as well like I think that you know it's it's really important that we're taken seriously because you know I wasn't comfortable like now I've got my boobs out more times than I've had hot dinners I you know mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm fully comfortable with it now because it's just constant but at the time going to a doctor and getting someone to check it um it's scary and it's quite taboo and it's uncomfortable um and you know I think if you turn someone away then they're most likely gonna not come back because it's not a comfortable experience people avoid uncomfortable experiences so if they're told no you're fine um like I was then you're gonna think 
okay yeah all right that's the person to trust then I'm you know then I'm fine but um I think if you stick your ground though and just say no actually I'm not comfortable and while I'm here I really I'm going to stay here until I get that further testing that I want to get done mm-hmm. um that's the lesson that we need to learn from this yeah I mean obviously everyone's income is different and everyone's finances is different than the next person but peace of mind is worth a lot and saving your life yeah. is worth even more. So yeah. Well, the thing is as well, that's more shocking is in the UK, we have the NHS, so we don't have to pay. We've got, you know, like the, if you go through the NHS, um, then the, the scans and the testings and everything like that, like it gets paid for us. Mm. So it's actually free. Um, I actually then ended up having to pay for my treatment because I initially I went through NHS. So when they fobbed me off and then they didn't do my scan. Um, and last year, because I was so panicked by it and because of the pandemic, I was having to wait, going to have to wait quite a long time to get tested and to get seen. Um, so I went privately and I, I then ended up having to pay for quite a lot of my treatment um which is a hefty bill um they should they should have paid for you they should be like yeah we messed this up we'll take care of this for you yeah 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 um and obviously i know that like it's it's a very different situation in other countries um Mm -hmm. in terms of um like medical treatment and the finances but to anyone that's in the uk um yeah there's no qualms just you know insist it it's more of my concern was more of the fact that it was them trying to cost cut and not give me the scam but then you know I was like well does it really cost you that much to give someone an ultrasound Mm. um because essentially I'm now costing you a hell of a lot more money right in having to go through all of this treatment I mean, I feel like we can harp on that for a while and I don't want to get into that mind space for too long, (laughs) but, um, the interesting part of this too, is you being a personal trainer and a vegetarian. So Mm -hmm. you're healthy, you're being healthy, you're living a healthy lifestyle. So it's like, you would be the perfect person to avoid this situation and, you know, it doesn't discriminate. So you're a perfect example of that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't have any genetic history either. I had no family history of cancer. I was fully gene tested um, when I was diagnosed to try and try and find a why, essentially, like they wanted to try and find a why for me of why this has happened. Um, And there is none. There is no explanation of why this has happened. Um, They refer to a young cancer patient as anyone under the age of 45. And I was 25. So, you know, I was far, far younger um, than the kind of the statistics. Um, I trained a lot. I was incredibly active. I did all the things that, you know, you see on the websites to reduce your chance of cancer. Don't smoke. Don't exceed my limits of alcohol. Um, Active. Very good diet. Yeah. No family history. Um, And it happened. So, yeah, it definitely, definitely does not discriminate. Um, unfortunately it is just something that will happen in one, one in two of us, which is why it's so important to be aware. 
And it's, it's, I'm curious, and you said you got leg paralysis. Was that related at all to the cancer or just completely? No. Yeah. They did test it because initially when I went and saw um, my consultant, the first consultant, I saw my initial one. um, And I mentioned the fact that I just, I was just off of the back of having back surgery. Mm -hmm. It instantly flagged to him. Um, like, oh crap, is this going to be, is this in your spine? Um, when I said that I've just had back surgery. So that was another reason why they did the full head to toe, um, just to make sure, but there was nothing in my spine. Um, that was literally just a case of, I did a deadlift too, like in a stupid way. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I, I herniated the disc and then it was the leakage basically of the disc that was pressing against the nerve that then paralyzed my leg. Um, so no, yeah, that was a completely unrelated, but unfortunately just another case of bad luck that I managed to get myself into last year. <laughs> I have to think some good luck is rolling your way. So <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not really experienced much in 2020, that's for sure. But um, yeah, hopefully that's all my bad luck out of the way. Well, it seems like you're kind of kicking ass right now. Um, and, and I'm curious, so when a doctor tells you we're looking at two to three years to live, what yeah. is what goes through your mind like immediately and throughout the next day or two? Like, what are you thinking of? So obviously the, the obvious one is shock. Um, I had no words at, at, when she very first said it to me, um, I couldn't say anything. I was sat in the room with my mum, um, and at first when she said it, that I, I didn't react. I had no reaction. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Um, then I became incredibly upset. Um, and I was extremely emotional in that room. Um, and then the tears just stopped. And then I just became incredibly numb. I just felt a very numb feeling. I remember leaving that room with my mum and sitting, waiting for some extra blood tests, not knowing at all what to say or do. Um, I couldn't cry. Um, And I just didn't really feel anything. It was a very bizarre feeling. Um, And then it became a lot of anger. So I think when I got home, it was a lot of anger in terms of, like why is this happening like how has this happened um you know I've done everything to try and live an incredibly healthy lifestyle like why like what have I done um to manage to get this or to deserve this you know and um and so for a couple days it was like that um it was very much a why um you know I don't understand why this has happened what could be the cause of this is it something that I have done wrong um and a lot of confusion um but then also on the back of that I then had a very much a residing anger of how dare someone say to me I've got two years to live they don't know that I've got two years to live um you know they can't be sure that I've got two years um and that was kind of essentially what fueled me then to continue this fight um and that's why I changed hospitals and that's why I found you know, thankfully I've found the team that I have now. Um, and I've used that anger, um, and that sort of, I suppose, passion to be like, no, this isn't like, that is not going to be the case to get me through the treatment that I've been doing. 
Um, and it was very aggressive treatment, but I like to think that throughout this treatment, I've kept pretty strong throughout it. And I think a huge part of that is actually mindset. Mm. Um, like pushing myself through that was hugely down to just me thinking, I'm going to do this. Like, I want to do this. That's another big thing. I, I wanted to do it and because I wanted to get through this and I wanted to, you know, show that this wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to, you know, be 27 and that be it. Um, that got me through everything that has happened in the last year um and still trying to get through everything that's happening now as well i want to talk about mindset in just a moment um one mm. thing that i'm kind of question um curious about is after you kind of like receive this news of a few years to live those next few weeks when you're going through all of this what helped you the most like did did people support you was it what they said to you was did you do something personally to help you through this time the thing the the biggest thing that I adopted I guess when I was going through this was the mindset of just one step at a time so something that is very easy to to do is just let your brain like race ahead and it's that you know like when I first initially got that diagnosis it was a case of well what does this mean like what am I how am I going to be like in six months time what am I going to be like in a year's time am I in two years time then is that that what do I do for these next two years like I want to see the world but I can't see the world because I'm in a pandemic <laughs> and your brain just starts to absolutely spiral um and so something that got told to me was just one step at a time and literally to the point of what is the next step? So I knew that after my diagnosis, my next step was brain surgery. And that's all I had to focus on. So I wasn't going to focus on anything after brain surgery. I wasn't going to think about what the results were going to show. I wasn't going to think about, you know, my birthday was coming up, but I was like, I'm not going to think about my birthday. I'm not going to think about anything else. Cause I, you know, I was pretty bummed out about that. Like my birthday scans are, um, birthday plans are out the window, but um all I thought about in my head was okay well Monday comes and I'm gonna have brain surgery and literally just to the point of all I have to do is go in there put the gown on and that's the next step mm. um and so then I did and then when I had surgery and I woke up I was like okay well, what's the next step for me the next step was get out of ICU and that's all I wanted to do I didn't want to think about anything else I just knew that I wanted to get out of ICU um and so I did the following morning I was allowed out of ICU went on to a normal ward and then what was the next step? Well, the next step was to get out of the hospital. And so then I did. Um, unfortunately, the day that I got out of hospital, my grandmother very suddenly passed away, which was another pretty nasty bad luck that we got in my family. Um, so then that was, okay, well, what's my next step? My next step was I want to attend her funeral. And I got told that I wasn't allowed to um that I potentially wasn't going to be able to because it was a six-hour journey from where I live to be able to get there um in the car and I wasn't allowed to drive because of the intracranial pressure and also I was at that point post-op I was at a higher chance of blood clot so I wasn't allowed to be stationary for too long um but we made it work I you know I wanted to get there I wanted to be there for my dad um, it was really important to me to be there for him um, and to support him. So, and to be there with the rest of my family. Um, and so that was what I then focused on. I just focused on, well, that's my next step. That's where I need to be. 
Um, so I rehabbed and I made sure that I kept, you know, my attrition to point. I made sure that I was kind of trying to keep active as much as I could to keep my blood flow going. Um, and I worked out a different travel plan so that it enabled me to actually get there so that I didn't have to use the car. Um, and I got there and I attended the funeral and I was there for my family. Um, and that's what's kept me going this whole time is I don't think, you know, the weeks ahead, I literally just think, well, what is my next step? And whether that's going to be a scam, if that was, you know, when I was going through treatment was my next step, um, like the next chemotherapy or in between that, what was, you know, what did I need to do in between that? Whether that be just like the, the, the tablets that I needed to take or um, something else that was going on externally from my cancer world. Um, any kind of small steps that you can break it down into really helps to just actually get you through the journey instead of seeing it as this really intimidating, huge, long um, like journey that you're going to have to go through if you just break it down into small steps. I feel like that's the only way really that I've actually managed to get through it mm. um, the way that I have. That makes a lot of sense. And the thing that I'm like, I'm admiring about you right now is like how present in the moment you are. Whereas so many people are, are, you know, uh, anxious, have anxiety and all this stuff about yeah. things in life that have never happened and may never happen. And you're just trying yeah. to live the rest of the day, <laughs> which is yeah. honestly, whether, whether you have an illness or not, probably we should probably all do that quite a bit more. Obviously you want to kind of like, you know, save for the future and be responsible, but yeah, you living in the moment and, you know, being present, um, I feel like yeah. is going to benefit yeah, you in the rest yeah, of No one knows what's going to happen. Like mm-hmm. no one knows what's going to happen. And, and yes, you want to, you know, there's certain things that you need to think like further ahead for, like in terms of, yes, like if you want to save up for things and stuff like that. But again, like, I just think, well, you know, no one knows what's going to happen the next day or the day after that. And there isn't any warrant in stressing about that or having anxiety about that because you're just panicking about the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more you panic about it, the worse it's going to be for you because you're going to just cause yourself to become unwell and to become stressed. And, you know, stress is like a, a horrible um fit like thing on your physical health anyway um so yeah the by doing the whole just take it one step be in the present um and not so much you know mindfulness is obviously a great thing as well but um not so much just kind of like being in the present in terms of mindfulness but I more mean yeah being in the present of thinking well just think what is your next step of the day Mm-hmm. Um, when you're going through something as you know difficult as this and not just cancer, but any kind of like hardship in life, just taking it that one step at a time makes an apt like a huge difference. Um, and it really is the only way that I've managed to get through this last year. Um, that's, that's in a wonderful, kind of wonderful as calm advice. As I have. <laughs> awesome. Because, you know, there's probably people that are going to listen to this going through cancer, going through something else, like taking it one step yeah. at a time is, is, great advice as easy as it may sound to say it's you know probably hard to do but it yeah. really seems like it's benefited you and so i can tell you're i i can't tell how stubborn you are or if you're just born a fighter <laughs> but clearly you have a strong mentality did you do anything to, to build that did you have 
any like therapy sessions or did you talk to a, a mindset coach or anything or were you just kind of like this is my mindset um no I actually think I I've surprised myself I guess in this last year of my mindset like I didn't realize until I got cancer how strong I actually was um I have had therapy before I had an eating disorder when I was 19 and so I had psychological treatment for that so I have been through therapy and I've experienced that and that again was a very it was a very difficult time in my life when I was going through having an eating disorder and trying to get out the other side of that um and I gained a lot of kind of mental strength through that I suppose um and yeah kind of working from rehabbing through that um but actually I think it was more of a case of you don't know how strong you are until you're actually faced with something that is going to show you um and it really wasn't until last year that well starting off with my back um and then going into the cancer diagnosis that the only way like from it you know in my mind I was like well this can go either two ways either I can feel sorry for myself um and spiral or I can just hit this as hard as I can hit this and I can try and keep on the straight and narrow and that's the that's the way that I decided to go um and yeah so it was quite a a lesson I suppose and kind of seeing how strong I could be um but that's also one of the reasons why I say that you know as crap as last year was and all of the stuff that I did experience like it's pretty awful but um I actually I try and see the positive side of it and I've learned so much about myself um and it's actually brought a lot of positivity to me so sounds weird but I wouldn't I, you can't change the situation and I wouldn't change it I can't change it um but I actually wouldn't change the situation because I actually think that mentally I'm probably in a lot better place now than I was before I've got a lot better focus in terms of like what I want to do career-wise um and I've proven myself like to myself that actually I'm a lot stronger than I ever thought um and I'm proud of myself of what I've actually gone through and what I've achieved and how I've come out the other side um which I think is a huge thing that we should all reflect on what we've done that actually we should be proud of um and going through something like this has really shown it to me and you should be proud of yourself honestly for now being an inspiration for probably thousands on social media what made you want oh, to start you. that um we'll say blog we'll, we'll pub your blog and also your social uh media instagram account what made you want to start oh, that thank you um yeah so that was initially it started out as a an awareness type thing so I wanted to start it as an awareness to show people again you know what I was saying about um that cancer doesn't discriminate like I was clearly someone that no one would have thought no one thinks that they're going to get cancer but no one would have thought that it was going to happen to you know a, a 25 year old that trains as much as I did that ate as well as I did um and I was living proof that it can happen. So I thought, well, if it's happened to me, it's going to happen to someone else. You know, I'm not going to be the only person in this world that this is going to happen to. So I felt like I really needed to spread that message because I thought, well, if I can save one person, then I've, you know, I've done what I need to do. Um, and so I started out plugging my story for that reason to create the awareness of the situation. Um, 
which then had a really great response. I had a lot of people then started to follow it and um, were checking themselves, learning to check themselves. I had women messaging me and girls messaging me saying that they were going to the doctors because they'd found a lump that they weren't sure about and people that had never checked before, but then had checked on from reading my story and had found something. So then they were going to the doctor. Um, and so it was incredible, this kind of like the message that I was putting out was actually making such a huge difference in terms of the awareness and actually helping people to become um, more receptive to their bodies and learn, you know, the normality of their bodies. So that if at any point those normalities do change, then they know. Um, but then it then became more of like through that, I then started to get a lot of messages from women thanking me. Um, and men as well, thanking me for putting out my story as honestly as I did, um, because it was they were finding it comforting. They were either going through cancer treatment or they might have a partner that was going through cancer treatment or a friend that was going through it. Or also people that actually didn't have any relation to cancer, but just didn't understand it or didn't know anything about it. Um, and then through following my story and reading the way that I, I suppose, talk about it. I'm pretty blunt. <laughs> like I just say it how it is. Um, and I am an open book. So from reading that, it's helped educate them, I guess, and also take the taboo away from cancer. Um, and that's what I really want to do. I really want to, in the way that I write, I want to take that taboo away from it and not see cancer as this uh, scary like it is scary but it's you know I don't want people to be petrified of the word cancer which everyone is you hear the word cancer and everyone sort of tenses up and freezes um but actually seeing what the real side of it is like and also seeing that yes I went through very aggressive chemotherapy and radiotherapy and my journey is a massive whirlwind and I do have secondary cancer um but showing that, you know, I still exercise, I still laugh, I can still ha have enjoyment in my life. You know, I still go out for walks every day. Um, I still have a life. So then it became more of a, as well as creating awareness, but now I'm just trying to show cancer in its reality and also letting people see that, you know, in the media or in films and tv and unfortunately in a lot of the kind of fundraising things that happen you see this very dark side of cancer and you see people looking incredibly sick and very um you know and the kind of the typical what people unfortunately say the look of cancer but I've constantly get people saying well you don't look like you have cancer and I'm like well cancer doesn't have a look you know like you can have cancer but not have this typical look and I think it's really unfortunate that people think that cancer has this look and that's all being derived from the media um and you know yes I have hair because I cold capped during chemo so I kept my hair I didn't shave it I didn't lose all of my hair but that doesn't mean that I don't have cancer very much the opposite I very much do um but it's just giving people the hope to see actually there is a different side of it and you're not going to be completely immobile or weak or you know completely hairless um there is another side of it that can happen and it's just giving people that hope and positivity that um the the journey of it the journey through treatment isn't as intimidating and scary as you may think that it is from what you've seen before that's great and i appreciate you kind of peeling back the curtain 
on that because that is really good to know. A lot of people only know kind of like what they see on TV or the movies. And that's yeah. obviously, that's obviously is a part of it, but that's also dramatized and that's only a small part yeah. of it. Um, I, I know you said that you still like exercise and you laugh a lot and stuff. How much do you think that has helped you along this journey? Oh, hugely. In terms of the exercise stuff, um, that has massively contributed to the way that I got through chemo, I know for sure. Um, my oncology team, before I began uh, chemo, they were very much hot on the fact that, you know, try to keep up the exercise as much as you can, obviously to, you know, be sensible with it and, um, you know, to know your limits and stuff and don't push too hard. But it was quite funny, like actually my oncologist turned around and said to me, I know, I, you know most of the time I'm saying to my patients, try and keep up with exercise but I know with you I'm probably going to be trying to rein you back and I was like yeah. yeah pretty much like um because I just started to get back into exercise after my back I, you know that was rehabbing really well and then uh, then chemo hit and I was like I don't want to stop kind of the progress of where I was going I didn't want to stop rehabbing my back um I didn't want that to go down south and um I also wanted to just keep as fit and strong as I could do because I knew that the research has showed that um, there is a huge correlation between exercise and being able to fight cancer um, and, you know, prevent cancer and everything. So that was a very important part um, of my treatment plan. And so I kept it. Um, at the beginning of my chemo, I was on a particular drug that um, is very nasty. It's, I nickname it the Red Devil. Um, it is fluorescent red that they pump into you. And I think anything that's fluorescent red they pump in, you know, is probably not going to make you feel great. Um, and it didn't. But um, I worked with that. You know, there were a couple of days where, yeah, I feel really nauseous and I would feel you know, I was pretty sick and um, fatigued. But I would just do what I could, even if that was just getting out for like a 10 minute walk um I would do that and I would feel better for that in terms of the fatigue and then I managed to be honest to get through the majority of my treatment still maintaining a good level of resistance training I have an exercise bike that I used at home to keep up my cardio fitness um but I listened to my body that was the most important thing you know if I was really really fatigued there was just no way that I was going to push myself um I was very sensible with it I was very receptive to how my body felt um, and I just worked with it, but actually keeping the strength up and keeping um, my cardio up, I didn't actually feel that much chemo fatigue. So that's one of the main side effects that people get is this long lasting chemo fatigue, but I actually haven't injured that. Um, and I think that is hugely down to the fact that I kept up my exercise as much as I did, but also down to kind of mental strength as well. Like I, I, I kind of, I went into it thinking, well, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I sit there and think I'm going to get fatigued, I'm going to get, you know, really tired, I'm going to get weak, then potentially that's going to happen. Whereas if I go through this treatment with a more of an open mind and think, okay, those side effects could happen. And if they happen, I'll work with it. But I'm going to still try and keep laughing and I'm still going to try and keep happy. And I'm still going to try and, you know, see my friends as much as I can do in this pandemic. Um, and I'm going to keep up with my routine, which was a huge thing going through it, you know, keeping up with your routine, whether that's, you know, keep trying to get up at the same day, like the same time every day. Um, and just trying to keep some sort of structure to your life, which I, I think is also very important when we were in lockdown and, um, the mental health side of that as well is just keeping that routine, but, um, doing all of that and then, 
sort of you know keeping the smile in your face I suppose but not a fake smile a real smile but keeping that smile on um was a huge part of getting through Mm -hmm. the treatment as well as I did I suppose now can you also like kind of peel back the curtain on a chemotherapy Mm -hmm. treatment um so Mm. can you explain what the chemotherapy treatment is and like how you feel during and afterwards yeah, so I started out on a chemo um, drug called EC. It's a combination drug, so it's two drugs. Um, don't ask me the names of them. I can't remember. <laughs> very, very long words. Um, but I know that it's called EC. And um, the, yeah, and that one was the worst one. So I had four of those over, I had them every two weeks. Um, and it was, yeah, it was like a fluorescent red, incredibly long syringe. I would go in, have an IV drip um, or have an IV put in. And then I would have a nurse actually sit there and they manually pump it in. Um, so they can't actually put it onto a drip. They have to manually pump it in incredibly slowly and like monitor you as it goes in. Um, so the E part of the EC, that's the red one. And then it's then followed up with a clear fluid that goes in. Those ones I had every two weeks. Um, and that one's the one that I call the red devil because that was this, the most severe out of my whole chemo. Um, that's the one that potentially, like if you're going to lose hair, you lose quite a lot with that. Um, you get very nauseous with it. I was very much plagued with nausea. Um, that was actually my main side effect that I got. Is that um, is that immediate or is it like when you go home you feel pretty that much? So it's a it's a cumulative as well. So like the first the first EC that I had. So my first day of chemo, I got home and I actually felt absolutely fine. But they also do pump you with steroids to counteract like for the nausea as well. So I kind of was living off of like a little bit of a buzz from the steroids that day. And so I sort of felt like superwoman and I came home and I was like, I'm absolutely fine. Like if I chemo, don't feel a thing, um, buzzing. And then the following day, um, the actually, no, sorry, that night, the nausea hit me. So probably within about like four hours of treatment, the nausea hit. Um, I was on four different anti-nausea drugs um, that I would take routinely throughout the day. Um, like a combination of all four. Um, but then the following day after my first one, even though I still had a little bit of residual nausea, it wasn't too bad. And then I thought, well, this is great. If this is what chemo is going to be like, I'm going to be absolutely fine. So I went out for a long walk, came back, worked out, was fine. Uh, the following day, however, just hit me like a ton of bricks and I just was floored. I could, I was so, so fatigued, couldn't walk couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to have to really reevaluate what I do because I thought the day before, because I felt fine that I was able to kind of be my normal self and do my normal things, but actually it catches up on you very, very quickly. Mm. So I learned the hard way, but I learned very quickly that actually I'm going to have to really rein it in and I'm going to have to calm down and I'm going to have to relearn how I go about my day when I'm on this treatment. Um, and yeah, quite rightly so, because it is a cumulative. So the second one hit me harder as did the third and then the fourth completely floored me. So the nausea got worse each time. By the fourth one, the nausea would hit me pretty much as the drug was going in. So whereas the first one would take kind of like four or five hours by the fourth treatment, 
I could start to feel sick while the drug was actually going in. Um, and then leaving the hospital, I was yeah not in a very good way. Um, but that is just something that they warn you that it, it does build up. It's like a constant build in your system. I was getting it every two weeks, which is quite a short span. Sometimes people have it every three. So you kind of get a little bit more respite, but um, they kind of wanted to hit me quite hard with it. So we did it every two. Um, and yeah, so the nausea was kind of like my number one. Um, but then when I then moved on to the next stage, so once I had those four ECs, I then moved on to 12 weeks of a drug called Paxitaxel. And I had that once a week, every week for 12 weeks, which is quite intense because you're going into the hospital every week. Um, but because of that reason, it was smaller doses. And in comparison to the first drug, the EC, it was incredibly kind um, in comparison to that. So I didn't experience any nausea with that. A little bit of fatigue, but you do just because at the end of the day, you are essentially poisoning your body. It is a, you know, it's a poison that's going in and it's obviously killing this cancer, but it also does kill a lot of other things as well. So you do really have to take care of your hair, your nails, your skin, your teeth everything do you have any real quick um, why you said that do you have any advice for anybody going through chemo to, to take care of their hair and teeth and stuff yeah like, so in terms of like the hair um i adopted like a very religious hair care routine so i had um these products that i recommend um for lots of people that my hairdresser told me about called olaplex and they do really good um like shampoo conditioner hair masks all sorts of things but it's all about like bonding the hair so keeping it strong um and so i religiously use that throughout chemo um i use the conditioner when i went and cold capped because they have to put the conditioner on your head to kind of create a layer between the cold cap and the your hair so the ice doesn't like stick to the hair yeah, so what's a cold um, cap What's that? So a cold cap is, um, so scalp cooling is basically like a helmet that you put on. Um, so if you look at my Instagram, there's quite a few pictures of me with this like Thunderbirds looking helmet that I've got in the hospital. Um, but it's got an inner layer, which is, it fills with, um, I think it's like minus three um liquid that comes out of the machine and then it's got an outside cap which is like an insulator that keeps the cold in your head so um by doing that it basically stops because of the cold it stops the chemo from being able to get up into the hair follicles and um, because it restricts the blood vessels mm. by freezing it um and you wear it so if, when i was on ec because that was the aggressive drug i would wear it for half an hour pre-treatment all through my treatment and then an hour and a half after. So it makes your treatment day quite long if you do use it. Um, but that's how I managed to keep as much hair as I did because I did use um, that technique. And then when I was on the Taxol, the Paxitaxel, I would only then wear it for an hour after my treatment because it wasn't as aggressive of a drug. Um, so yeah, that was the cold cap. But you always they like they basically they dampen your hair, they like wet it, and then they put conditioner on, and then you put the cap on, um, and then that conditioner creates like a layer in between your head and then the cold cap so that it doesn't freeze to your head. It's not comfortable, I'm not gonna lie, it is painful. Um, and they can give you a mild like sedative and pain medication to kind of get through it. If you can get through the first 10 minutes, then it gets a lot better because mm -hmm. it sort of goes numb, I guess, after the first 10 minutes. But it's like, I don't know, imagine getting a tub of ice cream and swallowing it whole 
and the brain freeze that you might get from that um kind of on that level so it's it's very very intense brain freeze for the first 10 minutes um and some women don't do it because it is incredibly painful and that's completely fair enough um I think potentially I was semi-lucky that at the beginning of my treatment I still had nerve damage from my brain surgery so part of my head was actually still numb so I didn't really feel the intense brain freeze as much as other women did but towards the end of my treatment though when my nerves were coming back I definitely felt it to the full <laughs> well at the same um, time that almost has to be like a big f you or a middle finger to cancer and be like you know what you're not taking my hair and I'm keeping this yeah that's a small victory yeah. in itself <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because it was one of the things that really that really frightened me one of the things that really frightened me the most was the idea of losing my hair Mm -hmm. um and I felt kind of bad at the beginning because I was like well I don't want to seem vain for thinking you know I don't want someone to turn around and say to me like Fran you've got secondary cancer why are you worried about your hair but like actually no it's it's an incredibly big thing it's part of our like identity I felt like you know I had crazy like, like massive like curly hair and kind of people sort of knew me for that really like the, you know the one with the big crazy curly hair and I loved my hair and um it was something that I really didn't want to lose through chemo and it was actually something that almost made me pull out of treatment because I was so petrified of it happening and um yeah and I just was honestly absolutely terrified of it mm. um but thankfully with the help of the cold cap which is an incredible piece of tech um, I've managed to keep my hairdresser actually thinks that I've only lost like 20% during treatment, which is pretty insane. I can't tell you've lost anything. Not that I knew you beforehand, but looking at you now, you have a head full of hair and it's still very curly. <laughs> I've literally just had it cut like so I've had like quite a short, short do. Um, but uh because of the like the cold cap's quite drying because you're icing your head every day, basically. So because of that reason, um I did have like quite a lot of like damage to my hair. So I've just gone for the, the full chop recently, literally this week. Um, but before this, it was, yeah, probably it was like quite a big, quite a big Afro again, not Afro, Afro, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy, pretty wild hair. Um, but yeah, it's like pretty incredible tech that they've got these days to help you through. Well, it's looking good. And I know I kind of cut you off with talking about the cold cap. You're talking about fingernails and teeth and stuff like that. Any more uh, yeah, that? yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So in terms of like nails and stuff, that one was a pretty big one. So, um, there's various different, there was a product called Marvela, which they actually told me in the hospital to, um, get. So M-A-V-A-L-A, -A -A, Marvela. Um, and they do various different nail polishes. So actually the thing that so some people might think that when you're going through chemo, you shouldn't wear nail polish because it will damage your nails. It's actually the opposite. So when you're going through chemo, you should actually keep um, your nails covered with nail polish because if UV light hits your nails, so any UV light, um, it will discolor them. So when you're having the chemo drug going through your body, if you have UV light hit your nails, they'll go yellow. So actually throughout the whole of treatment and even now past treatment, um I still keep my nails covered with nail polish because uh if I leave it off for like a couple of days they go yellow still because the drug is still in my body for like six months post-treatment so um I always painted them with 
this specific Marvelar company, they do nail polishes that are water-based, so it's healthier for your nails. And additional to that, they do lots of different like cuticle things and stuff like that to try and help with the brittleness um, because your nails can become very brittle, very dry. They can crack um, and sometimes they can go black. So I actually had a pretty grim experience with my toenails um, where I just I was very focused on my fingernails because you see them every day and you're kind of they're easy but you don't really lift your toenails so partway through treatment I kind of forgot to use all the balms and the oils and the creams and stuff that I was using on my fingers um, and my toenails went black and that was a side effect of just going through chemo and it happens and when I spoke out about it on my Instagram I had a lot of women message me going oh my god thank god you spoke out about that because I had that too and I was worrying that it was just me and um, no, it was, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Um, and yeah, they basically just like went black and fell off and it's pretty disgusting. Um, they're growing back now, so it's all right. So hopefully they'll be like recovered for summer so I can actually wear sandals. Um, but it's very, very important that you keep up with those things because it, you know, you kind of lose sight of it for a couple of weeks and it's actually quite frightening to see how quickly the drugs that, going into your body actually can take effect um so nail care is a big one and skincare just moisture i had to moisturize like three times a day um so as soon as i was out of the shower in the morning moisturize straight away sometimes i'd top it up during the day if i felt like i was getting a bit dry and itchy and then before i went to bed again um moisturize full body um because your skin suffers bad it's basically like you know chemo destroys all the cells that are dividing and your skin your nails your hair are also cells that are dividing so it's going to attack those as well as the cancer um so you will get dry skin um but moisturizing like my bedtime routine probably tripled like if I was going to bed at like 10 I'd have to start getting ready at eight like it was mm. pretty ridiculous like I had so much that I had to do um to get ready for it but it's worth doing because if you can then get through treatment and come out and not feel really like shoddy because you know you, you, your skin's cracking and things like that then it's worth it it's worth the extra time it's worth the self-care um definitely just take that time for yourself and put it in um and get it done but yeah it's pretty there's a lot of uh products that have to be bought unfortunately when you go through treatment this is all really good to know a great advice for anybody who knows anyone or is going through this themselves um just the small yeah. things how they add up quickly um yeah usually, so yeah so of curiosity so you said you know it started hitting you quick the nausea at what point mm. every two weeks, at what point did you kind of feel like, okay, I'm bouncing back a little bit. How long does that usually last? About three to four days for me. Um, so I'd have treatment. And then when I first started chemo, I'd always have it on a Thursday. And then I kind of knew that by the Monday I'd feel okay. Mm. Um, and that happened pretty much every time. So every time by the Monday, I was pretty much back to normal. It just meant that every week or like every week that I had it, those three to four days just got worse each time. So that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, each one that I had, it just got worse. So the nausea would get worse. The tiredness would get a bit worse. The sweats, like you sweat a lot, um, that would get worse. Like temperature fluctuations all the time. Um, so those kind of things, that got significantly worse after each treatment. But thankfully for me, 
about four days in. So by the Monday, I was pretty much back to normal. And then I could resume doing the activities that I did, the exercise that I was trying to do, bits of work. Um, and yeah, it didn't really last that long. But I think also like a lot of that was down to the fact that I, I was trying to keep up mm. my health in the ways that I could. So even though I was feeling very nauseous, I really tried to keep eating as well as I could do. So the bits of food that I could keep in, I tried to keep it as, as well as I could. Like smoothies very much became my friend. Um, and like vegetable smoothies and keeping my protein up as well. That was a question I was going to ask you next. How has your diet changed at all? If it has, and do you have any recommendations for like what people should or could eat during this time? Yeah. Um, I would say that to like, to be fair, it's not changed too drastically because before this, I was leading a very healthy diet anyway. Um, I religiously ate a lot of vegetables. I ate yeah like a vegetarian diet so a lot of like pulses and beans and it was very high fiber um and I was also on a like a I made sure that my protein count was good because I was weightlifting so I, I knew that I needed to you know, have a, a good amount of protein for that and through my training program so for years I've always um had a very good diet and I've learned to kind of have a good routine with that but when I was then going through treatment, um, I suppose it just highlighted all of that and even more so. So I just, I knew how important getting in those vegetables um, every day would be. Um, and because it's also very important, it's very important that you get in the vitamins, so you get in like your vitamin C for your immunity and things like that, but not to supplement it. So they say that it's actually very important that you don't supplement with vitamin C because it can actually um counteract it can stop the chemo from working so it's one of the supplements that they say do not take but to get it naturally through your diet mm. which means that consuming things like your berries and your green veg um, and citrus fruits and stuff is very very important um and yeah I, I kind of so I suppose that my diet didn't change too much but it just highlighted all of the things that um, I was doing before that I just really needed to keep up with. So I, I tracked how much protein that I was taking in because again, protein is very, very important when you're going through cancer treatment. Um, you can suffer from muscle wastage as you go through it um, due to inactivity if you are fatigued. Um, and also the fact that chemo is very toxic on your muscle and your um, the fascia as well around your muscle, which can really suffer with your, um, cause your joints to suffer. So they were very much like, caught on the fact that I needed to keep up with my protein which I personally knew wasn't going to be a problem because I'm very experienced in monitoring my protein count um, but I would say to anyone that is going through treatment that that is the number one thing that they need to make sure that they are trying to get in um, is a good amount of protein from different sources um, and whether you supplement that like I've got a, a vegan protein powder that i used to put in with my smoothies because if I was nauseous going through treatment I didn't want to eat and I didn't really want to cook but it was super easy to just make a smoothie with some frozen berries some spinach greens powder and then some protein powder and it was easy to consume because I wasn't really having to like chew anything um and off the back of my brain surgery I couldn't actually chew because to go into my skull like to go into a the location on the right side of my head that had to cut through the muscle that's responsible for chewing. So for a few months, I actually physically couldn't chew. So, wow. um, 
or very badly. I chewed very, very badly. So um, smoothies did very much become my friend, but that, that was great because it meant that I could get in the berries, I could get in the veg. Um, I had a greens powder that I put in now that keeps my immunity up. And then you've got the protein source. Um, so protein is a number one thing. Vegetables, definitely very much an important thing. Um, and high fiber as well. So like the drugs that they give you, um, everything pretty much comes with a side effect of constipation, which is fantastic. Um, so making sure that you get enough fiber in your diet and hydration levels are high really helps to just keep everything moving how it should do. Um, because chemo has a constant, like makes you constipated. The anti-sickness drugs for the chemo come with a side effect of constipation. Um, and so you're kind of, and like the immunity injections that I took, that also comes with a side effect of constipation. So literally everything mm. that they were bombarding me, they were like, oh yeah, that also comes with that side effect. So ensuring that I was getting enough fiber and enough water, um, into my diet has been the number one thing like hydration to a very very good level um because also when I was going through treatment and then they were having to cannulate me to put it um every time I went in I didn't have what so there's two things that you can have one's a pick line um and one's a port a pick line is like a permanent cannula that goes into your arm and it's there every day so you just live with that um a port uh, goes underneath kind of like next to your collarbone um they surgically implant that and those you can either have those two and they really help with treatment because it can be very corrosive on your veins um so instead of them having to cannulate you every time you go into the hospital then they just use that for me personally I didn't want either of those options. I didn't want the port because I just had brain surgery. I just had back surgery. I didn't want another surgical procedure. I kind of threw my toys out the pram a little bit. And I was like, I don't care how small this surgery is. I don't want another one. Leave me alone. Um, and I didn't want the pick line because, well, my team were very kind of a bit like, mm, we're a bit concerned about the pick line with you because I was very active, did a lot of exercise. I'd be using my arm a lot and I wouldn't be able to do that with my exercise and for my mental health that was going to be a very important thing for me to get through treatment. So I went through the option of getting cannulated every week that I went in for treatment, which definitely took its toll on my veins. Um, and it did become quite difficult sometimes to be able to get a cannula in me, but hydration was the number one thing. So making sure that I drink four liters of water a day religiously, but making sure that I was on that um, um, every day of treatment day, I would wake up and I'd be like, boom, drink water. Like that was just the number one thing. Um, and then that just became my routine. So now um, I'm, I know that I'm constantly super hydrated every day, um, but it helps with so much. It helps with your skin. It helps with your nails. It helps with your hair. Um, it helped with the cannulating, like everything. I didn't really suffer that badly. Like we were saying about dry skin. I didn't really suffer that badly with it. And I think a lot of that came down to, my diet and came down to my hydration levels um so getting in fluids I would say actually was probably something that I had to adopt big time when I was going through treatment more than my diet side of stuff 
This is really wonderful information. I didn't know. I mean, you can guess, kind of assume, got to eat your protein vegetables, but this is really good because anybody who may know someone or is going to go through chemotherapy, perhaps like, you know, stock your pantry with some proteins and get some veggies and fruits mm. and get ready to start having smoothies. Um, you know, I've, yeah. done a, I've done a few recent episodes on smoothies and what people put into them and stuff. So it kind of falls in line with that. Um, yeah. did you put any supplements or any kind of new powders or anything in these smoothies when you're having chemo that kind of like um, help you? I have a greens powder. So that was a new one. So my nutritionist recommended a greens powder. Um, it's a company called amazing greens and it's just their like super greens powder. I think it's called or something like that. Um, that one was a new one that I hadn't taken before. Not going to lie. doesn't taste great. doesn't smell great, but if you put it in a smoothie with lots of other things, you don't taste it. So it's fine. Um, and that one was really important to, to basically just make sure that my diet was complete. So even if there was a day where I didn't really fancy eating that much, or I couldn't stomach the thought of eating, loads of veggies and things like that but I could stomach a smoothie with the greens powder um I knew I'd had a massive hit of the vitamins and the minerals that I would get from the vegetables it's very natural um product so that one was a new one um and I've stayed on that since so I've been I take that every day um I have a smoothie pretty much every day as like a snack so um that one I whack in every day now um in terms of like other supplements um i take a multivitamin because my the drugs that i have uh tamoxifen when it blocks off your hormone one of the symptoms that it can cause is um like like basically damage to your bones osteoporosis is a risk um so they suggested to me that i took a multivitamin to make sure that my calcium levels were high enough um i also don't eat dairy so i don't get that much calcium source so by taking the multivitamin i ensured that my calcium levels were um at a good level and vitamin d as well is a huge um supplement that is very much like highly plugged um and that one i take religiously every day as well like i personally take it in a spray um i take quite a high dose of vitamin d but you know well I don't know what it's like over there, but in England, we do not get that much sun. Um, and that's where you get your vitamin D source. Um, and you don't really tend to get it that great with food either. Um, so that's one that kind of actually, they, well, they recommend vitamin, like everyone takes vitamin D, whether you're going through cancer treatment or not, they recommend that everyone takes it because it comes with huge amounts of benefits for your immune system, for your bone strength and everything. But that became very important in my treatment plan. Um, again, because of the hormone drugs that I take, um, and the risk that it has to my bone health. Um, and also my immunity because your immunity gets wiped when you go through chemo. Um, and I suffered with that quite badly, uh, with my immune system, my immune system became very depleted. So keeping up with vitamin D, I had a vitamin B supplement as well. Um, and then that multivitamin, um, that's kind of like got everything. Um, they, you know, as much as they helped my immunity, I'm not sure, but I think they, I think they did. Um, cause I didn't catch any, you know, colds or anything like that, but um, there were a couple ropey moments through my treatment where I was neutropenic, which means that my white blood cell count basically like just hit rock bottom. Um, and so I was very, very open to infection, but I managed to get through. I didn't catch any infections and I was okay. Um, so those supplements were very important. 
during that time to keep your like immunity is the biggest thing um anything that can help with your immune system when you're going through treatment i love this information because i love just even speaking to joe schmo to kind of see what they're taking for vitamins and supplements let alone (laughs) somebody who's kicking cancer in the face like that's (laughs) you know you're living and, you know, they told you two years to live and you're still kicking ass. So this, I feel like yeah. is going to be very, very helpful. And it's funny that vitamin D keeps coming up in my podcast mm. over and over. And it all started with talking with a functional doctor a couple months ago. And that got me to go get my levels checked. And I was very deficient in vitamin D and oh, really? a decent amount of sun here, but apparently just that's yeah. not even enough. You know, you gotta be outside a lot and no. exposure and now there's yeah. COVID and lockdowns and yeah, I keep recommending, please get your vitamin D checked. It's really cheap. It's easy. And it's easy to supplement. So yeah, you, you just actually reiterated that again. So thank you for yeah. that. Yeah. I always said that that's like the number one, like a lot of things you can get through your diet. Like I don't, I'm, I don't pop like 101 pills every day. I'm not, you know, like taking tons of supplements, but vitamin D, you just don't get, like you just can't, you can't get it properly in your diet and we don't get enough sun exposure for it. So that one is a huge one um, that everyone should be taking um, definitely. And I think it's, you know, on the most part, if you can get everything through your diet, that overalls every like most supplements um i highly recommend that people try and get everything mainly through a good amount of vegetables um and mixed like vegetables as well but um yeah vitamin d is definitely high on the list and for me as a veggie like vitamin b um you don't get vitamin b if you don't consume like animal product like meat Mm -hmm. so um that one was a big one as well um for energy levels and um if you're like veggie or vegan um yeah this is yeah like i said this is wonderful information um so i'm gonna somewhat switch gears here because i'm really curious so let's say that we can do a little role play here let's say that i'm really good friends with you and i just found out you got diagnosed with cancer and you're gonna start chemo as a good friend to you and or like family member what can i do to help you the most get through this? Cause I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that just get nervous and scared and they don't know how to act and yeah. how to react around their friends or family. Is there any advice yeah. that you can give me and or others how to help? Yeah, I think, yeah, this, so this is actually like a very hot topic. Cause I've, I've spoken about this, um, quite recently, actually, I put it out onto my Instagram that I actually, I put out a post saying that I had lost friends during cancer by having cancer I felt like I had lost friends and I was actually very overwhelmed by how many people have come back and said to me that they felt the exact same um and it wasn't a personal attack on anyone um I think there is a huge element of this where people just don't know how to react I don't think people know what to say um and I think it's kind of like a self-preservation thing a lot of people take that step back um away from people like away from their friends because they just don't know what to say but the thing is there isn't anything you know there isn't like a magic pill that you can take there isn't a magic thing that you can say to someone but all I would say is just being there and just letting them know that you are there so you know if someone says to you that they've been diagnosed with cancer um 
just saying to them that I'm going to be there for you. Like I will be there for you throughout this whole thing to whatever capacity you want me to be there for you. I will be. And that is the most important thing, you know, as someone that is going through treatment, all I ever would ask for was my friends to just be there. If I wanted them to be there um, to know that they were like, I, I'm quite a, a lone wolf. I, I get on with things myself. Like a, a lot of my friends are like, please, can you just like get me to help you? Like, I just want to do something. Like, can I pick you something up from the shop? And I was like, no, no, I'm fine. Um, but it was nice though, not, like having those people reach out to me and say to me, you know, if you need anything at all, please let me know. Um, because I knew that then they were there. You know, if there was a day where I couldn't get to the shop and I couldn't get my groceries because I was too tired, I knew that I had people that I could call upon to do that for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And to the people that would send me through little surprise gifts in the post, like that was incredible. You know, like sometimes I would just get a random card from a friend and, you know, nothing major, just a little card that just said that they were thinking about me or, you know, so that, you know, that they really hoped that I was doing okay. And again, reiterating the message of if, I needed them and they were there or, um, you know, just sending like little like packages through the post and things that really brighten your day. Like that to me was incredible when I was going through treatment, um, just receiving those, um, you know, nothing doesn't have to be anything huge, but if you just send someone a little something that just makes them know that you've been on their mind, um, it really can brighten up someone's day, especially in the pandemic. I mean, you're like, oh my God, I've got a parcel. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're not doing anything with your day. Um, but yeah, it's something that I think it's a very, you know, it is very difficult. And I think sometimes to myself, like if I was, if it, the roles were on the other foot and I had a friend that was going through cancer and they had told me that they were diagnosed, what would I say? And like, if I hadn't have gone through this, like, would I have been okay? Like, would I have been a good friend? Would I have been able to deal with this? And you don't know until you're put into that situation. Um, but I think the most important thing is just being there. It literally is just being there. Like, you don't have to talk to them about the cancer because they might not want to talk about it. Mm. You know, they, they might not want to talk about it. They might just actually just want to have a normal conversation with you like they did before as a friend you know they might want to talk about your love life or like you know what crap date you went on last night or you know whatever it might be that is what they might want to talk to you about so I don't think yeah I think people just shouldn't it's it's easier said than done but just don't panic and think oh my god what if they want to talk to me about this and I don't know what to say and because I think a lot of it is also people thinking I don't know how to make the situation better mm-hmm. you know if they're upset about it what can I say <clears throat> or what can I do that actually is going to make this situation for them better and the reality is there isn't you can't take cancer away from them but what you can do is be there in their presence or make them feel like you're there for them and make them feel like you're supported the worst thing that you can actually do for someone is hide because then for me I found that when some of my friends did that I felt like it was my fault I thought well what have I done you know is it because I've got cancer, do they think that I'm contagious or do they think that I'm going to talk to them about cancer all day, every day, and they don't want to talk to me about that. And you start to kind of blame yourself. Um, 
And then I was like, well, no, it's it's not me. Like if maybe perhaps they just can't deal with it at this moment in time and that's their decision. And if that's their decision, then okay, like I'm just going to leave them be. And, you know, that's just how it's going to have to be. But um, the people that did come through, and it actually surprises you, the people that come through. Like sometimes it was, for me, I had a lot of, I've made a lot of friends and I've created a big community of people through social media. Um, and they're the people that I get surprise messages from them and they check in with me and somehow some of these people have managed to get my address and sometimes and send me things and I'm like, how on earth do you know where I live? <laughs> um, but, um, but it's really sweet. And, you know, and like it, it just really brightens like brightens your day um just to know that you've been on that person's mind and that they're thinking about you and that they're supporting you and that's all you ever ask for is just you know just have a conversation with me I'm still the friend that I was before I'm still that same person I haven't changed um it's just my situation has changed a little bit but I'm I can still have the normal conversations that I had with you before I can still laugh with you like I had before I can still go down to the pub with you like I did before um none of that has changed and none of that needs to change um which is you know again why I'm trying to plug and take away the taboo of cancer because I think that's a huge part of people feeling quite scared when it comes to having friends that are diagnosed with it and not knowing what to do um, because it's a bit of an awkward subject mm. um, or an uncomfortable feeling because more probably because they're fearful that they just don't, they don't want to make the situation worse, but they also don't know how to make the situation better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's yeah. That's really wonderful insight. Um Cause like I said, I, I have not had to deal with anything besides like my grandmother having it, but now I feel somewhat a little more equipped, you know, if, if, and when something like that happens uh, to someone in, in my life and hopefully that helped uh, a lot of other people who just listened to this and how to help uh, deal with it with somebody. And it's unfortunate when situations like that arise, you kind of find out who your real friends are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I love how you've used social media and when social media is used for such a positive and a support group, it's, there's a lot of negatives that come with social media. There's a lot of angry people out yeah. there and stuff, but you're <laughs> using it for such a, a wonderful way. And I love when people come through and you, you connect and there's probably people that who have cancer or going through chemo that are reaching out to you for help and support. Yeah. And that's just such a wonderful scenario of using social media. So like I said, it's wonderful that you're doing that for everyone to see. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I'll let you go shortly here, but one thing I'm kind of curious about oh, is, is you talked about, um, cyber knife. What, yes. te what technology have you seen just in general, not necessarily just cyber knife, but in general that you're like, kind of blew your mind of like things that are coming out to give people some hope and how we can battle cancer. Um, well, that one was a huge one that like absolutely, I found absolutely mind blowing. Um, and more as well in terms of like the prep for it. So like this, the, the pre scans that you have for it, um, I had to have a CT and an MRI before I started radiotherapy purely to make a 3D model of my head that then went into a computerized simulator. 
And then in that simulator, they programmed where they were going to then send in the x-rays with the cyber knife to the, like, to lower than a millimeter so that they knew exactly where it was going to go so that they weren't going to hit my optic nerve. Because for me, it was kind of a case of can we do radiotherapy or can we not? Um, because obviously we do not want to blind this person. Um, but we also want to be able to get rid of those cancer cells that might have been left in the skull. So when they then programmed it into the system, this simulator was then able to tell them that they were able to do it without it hitting my optic nerve. Um and then it was able to tell them the dosage that they had to use. So originally I was going to have five treatments, but then when they put it into the simulator and then they were able to calculate where it was going in, it actually came back to say that it was safe to do three of a higher dosage. So my treatment plan actually got cut down. So instead of going in five days a week, I only went in for three days and I just had a higher dosage, but it actually came back to say that it was going to be safe. Um, and then when I then went into the machine and then I went in for radiotherapy all they did was press play so there was no one actually there that was kind of you know doing it manually and actually sending in the x-rays into my skull they'd already programmed it the week before and so then when I went in all they did was press play and then this machine then just moved itself around my body or around my head um, sending in the x-rays what they had put into the program the week before and it had cameras pointing on my body so that if I moved at any point, then the it would then send messages to that machine to then adjust the bed that I was on to however much I had moved so that it was always going to be hitting the same point. Awesome. It was just incredible. Um, and it meant that my treatment plan of what would have been previously, like, you know, years ago, um, would have taken months. I was able to get it done in three days because they were able to just pinpoint exactly where they needed to go. I didn't need to have overall radiotherapy to my head, which can come with a lot of side effects. Um, that, you know, it was, it was minimal. Like my side effects are going to be fatigue, but then that's pretty much it. You know, I don't get the kind of the residual headaches or the nausea or anything like that that can come with radiotherapy to the head um, because of the fact that it's so precise where they've actually been putting in those x-rays. So that completely blew my mind when they said about that. Um, even like when I had my brain surgery, just the fact that I had part of my skull removed, they actually removed part of my skull, took out the tumor, like scraped it all out and then put my skull back in place and they fitted what they, well, my surgeon referred to as a button, but it was basically a plastic plate that went on the in, like I had one on the inside of my skull, then my skull went on top and then the other button would then go the other side. They basically squash it together so that it keeps your skull in place and then the scar tissue will form over it. So then it then creates like your, essentially your skull again, it completely solidifies. So I've still got those buttons as you call it. It's basically a plastic plate in my head um and you can kind of feel it but it was just incredible the fact that the fact he could just take out part of my skull expose my brain remove this tumor put that back in um and then i can go on about my day so modern medicine is yeah it's incredible and with the constant research they're doing they you know they're coming out with all these like unbelievable things um but 
Cyberknife was just a whole other world. Like if you see the video that's on my Instagram of it, like I described it as Wally. Like it was literally like a Pixar robot that was just like moving around. Um, it's pretty insane the things that they can do. Um, and I'm sure in years to come there'll be even more unbelievable things that are going to come out. This is what they're working on. Yeah, this is why funding cancer research, honestly, is so important. Yeah, it's, it's honestly really cool to, as someone who has donated to cancer research, to hear a story kind of come back as in like, my money helped do this and build these machines. And yeah, it's gonna get better and better and save more and more lives, which is just awesome to hear. So people please keep donating to cancer research. And while I yeah. say that, do you have like an organization or, or anything that you want people to, to look into and donate to? Um, so for me personally, I'm actually going to be doing a lot of fundraising for the hospital that I'm at, which is the Royal Marsden charity. Um, so it is a UK based hospital, but they're the ones, it was actually the Royal Marsden charity that fundraised the money to be able to create and put in this cyber knife machine that I was using. Um, and they're the ones that came up with, they did like all the clinical trials and everything for the drug that I'm going to be using in a couple of weeks time. Um, and I know like a, a couple people that have joined on and, they're going to be doing some fundraising too for that um but there's also different organizations like in the uk we've got someone uh, an organized a charity called copperfield they're fantastic so i've joined kind of forces with them and i'm ambassador of them now and i'm going to be spreading the message and doing talks for them copperfield is basically it's to promote early diagnosis in cancer so um yeah they've got various different things like text reminders and we go around and we do talks um, to create awareness for men and women. Um, it's for breast cancer specifically, but it's for men and women because men also get breast cancer. It's pretty crazy if you look at the stats of how many men get breast cancer and diagnosed a year. Um, and it was a charity that was set up by a woman that was diagnosed with breast cancer. She actually scarily had a very similar story to me um, that she was misdiagnosed and then was actually diagnosed when she was 23, um, but with very advanced breast cancer, unfortunately, by that point. And she's still, you know, she's still around today, um, even though she was given a pretty much a very similar prognosis as I was a very short amount of time. But she created this charity to then create awareness of an early diagnosis and um and to help educate people in how to check and why we should check um and also um breast cancer now that's another fantastic one as well breast cancer organization they've teamed up with they do they have a research part of it and then they also have like a support side of it um a support care side of it um and another fantastic, or I'm kind of like spilling all the organizations that I've come into contact with. Yeah, no, please with, do. But, please keep doing um, it. And I will put all the web addresses. Do me a favor. Give me the, the web addresses. I'll put them yeah. all in the show notes as well as your personal Instagram and blog as well. So all, okay, everything cool, you're naming, you. everything you're naming, yeah. people just go to the show notes and scroll down. You'll see the uh, links to click on. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, there's another one as well called Battle Cancer. Um, and, um, so Scott, he created battle cancer and he's actually gone worldwide with this. So, um, battle cancer fundraises for cancer research. So all types of cancer, they fundraise for it, but they do it through 
fitness events. So um, you can, yeah, so they're basically like they, they hold a fitness event that is aimed at any person of any fitness ability. Um, and it's about coming together with a team. So you get in a team and um, it's a kind of like fitness competition in the sense of like you do a workout, um, like a few workouts throughout the day. Um, and it's really good fun. It kind of brings everyone together. Um, but the whole aim of it is a creating awareness of cancer and b fundraising for cancer. Um, but they've done it so that it's not an elitist kind of fitness competition. So anyone can do it. You can do it. If you've got one arm, you can do it. If you, you know, anything like that, there's always like scale different options of the exercise that you can do in these comps. Um, and it's a super friendly, super cool event. And they've got them all over that. They're trying to do them all over the world. And um, off the back of that, he's now started the Battle Cancer Program, which is a free fitness program um, for people post-cancer treatment to rehab them back into normal living and back into exercise, which is incredible because I get it a lot. A lot of people messaging me saying that they don't know how to exercise post-treatment or through treatment because whether they're worried about what they're doing to their body or um you know it's been so long that they're just not sure what to do or they might be scared to go back into the gym because they're a lot weaker than they were before and they don't want to hurt themselves um and that's where I'm going with my career now as well so I'm going down personal training people through cancer and post-cancer um and Scott set up the battle cancer program um which gives free access to people that are post-treatment all over the world and it's an online platform but he's also trying to set up some gyms which is incredible but he needs the funding obviously to be able to set up these um these gyms and to do that he needs the awareness so that is a huge one to check out um and he's an incredible person to speak to as well um like super motivational like he just, you know, every day his get up and go is to try and set up these gyms and to try and set up this program for people that have been going through cancer to rehab them back into um, like a normal life and give them a community again as well, make them have a safe space. Um, and they're doing really, really amazing things. So I'm going to be touring with them a little bit and the different comps they've got, like we're going to Ireland and um, up north in the UK and there's some in London as well but I know that he's also he's got a gym set up in the States and he's trying to spread it up um, in multiple places around the world and give everyone um, access to these gyms I think he's got the ambition of I think he wants like 70 different gyms or something like that I think he wants um, is like his end goal um and uh yeah so he's doing yeah it's an incredible movement that he's doing so he's definitely someone to like to check out the battle cancer program and they're doing great things that's wonderful yeah so like i said i'll put that in the show notes for people please check him out follow him and help support yeah. that goal that's really really great and while people are following him, how do we follow you? Because I want to follow your journey closer and see you kick cancer's <laughs> ass. So tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So, well, you can follow me on Instagram at my name. So it's just Fran Whitfield. Um, or if you want to follow my blog, you can follow my blog um, at backsbrainsandboobs.com. Um, it's all about back surgery, brain surgery, and breast cancer, hence the backs, brains, and boobs. 
Um, so yeah, backsbrainsandboobs.com. That's me. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, check it out because that's where I really learned a lot about you and your story. You don't just keep it short and quick and check out. You're actually writing no. a lot and being very vulnerable about it. And that's where people are going to be able yeah. to connect with you. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. I'm a very open book. You can read all about it on there. And um, yeah, and there's, you know, there's, there's more to come. I'm going to be documenting everything from, I've got my radiotherapy blogs to put up. Um, so that you can find out about like what radiotherapy was like, what CyberKnife was like. I'm going to be documenting from the very offset what the new drug is like because it's it's you know worldwide it's very new. There's not that many people that have been on it, so it's going to be interesting to see what that's like and what the results of that are going to be like. Um, and yeah, and I'll just be always documenting everything, like every aspect of it, um, but also like my life as well, you know, outside of the cancer stuff, like how to kind of get yourself back into a life. Because I think a, a lot of people struggle with the the fact that when you go through cancer treatment, you can become quite institutionalized and it feels like you're sort of living in this bubble. And then once you finish treatment, it's like, what on earth do I do now? Hmm. How do I actually live a normal life again? Um, which I'm still finding my feet and I'm documenting that pretty heavily as well, like how I'm trying to find my feet and what I'm doing and the path that I'm now going down is very different to what I was on before in terms of like my job and stuff and like the appreciation now that I have for life. So um, yeah, keep up with that on the, on the gram and you can see all about that. <laughs> yes, please do. Cause that is super important is, you know, when you, when you fight cancer and you, and you beat cancer, how do you get your life back and start to reintroduce mm. things back into your life and do it properly at the right time? That's really, really great information as well. So once again, thank you for posting that as well. That's, and no, thank you for you. being so vulnerable. It, it, that's not for everybody, you know, not everyone can be so vulnerable, yeah. but we're all learning something from you doing it. So, yeah. you know, that's just wonderful. Please. Yeah. Keep up the good work and keep kicking ass. And <laughs> so honestly, like what, what can yeah. we expect from you kind of like in the near future? I won't look too far ahead because you're one battle at a time and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my next step in terms of uh, career, I suppose at the moment, what I'm focusing on, I'm actually working my way through a qualification that's going to enable me to be a cancer exercise specialist. So should hopefully qualify in July, um, all being well with my exams that are coming up. Um, and then that means that I'll be able to then coach people through treatment and post-treatment um and I'm hoping to take that into hospitals as well so I want to give back and I actually want to you know help people within the hospital environment um and you know help them through that and then also I'm uh trying to on the back of it set up my own business to to online coach people so that I can you know hit people all over the world as well so a great thing that's come out of the pandemic is showing that we can actually personally train people virtually mm-hmm. whether it be via zoom or through an app, um, various things like that. And I think a lot of people are coming, becoming a lot more receptive to actually that it works. Um, so I tried to set it up before the pandemic, um, but I think a lot of people were a bit more skeptical about it and they like that one-to-one, which is great if you are there, but if you're not there, um, it's difficult. Whereas obviously I'm going down quite a niche now and I'm going down this kind of cancer route. So, um, but I wanna hit people that aren't just in London. So I'm aiming to set up my own business. So hopefully by the summer I can have that up and running. And then that means that I will be able to 
hit people that are, you know, in the States or in Europe or anywhere um, and give them one-to-one coaching, whether it be on video um, virtually or online via an app that I'm going to be using um, and giving them programs and stuff that they can follow through treatment and getting them through um, whatever treatment that may be. Because the, the qualification is pretty heavy. I have to learn a hell of a lot of different types of cancer, more more types of cancer than I ever thought existed. Um, And all the medications that come with it and all the treatments that come with it. But then obviously on the back of that, what that then means for exercise. But exercise being a huge part of my experience, I want to be able to show the benefits of that to the people that are doing it. So that is my next step. Hopefully I'll be qualified in July. Um, And then on the side of that as well, I'm trying to put together a book So I'm trying to write a book kind of basically about my story, about what happened, creating awareness of young cancer, um, but then also how you get through it and how you get through the other side. I mean, what an example to follow. You know, you were dealt one of the biggest blows you can get in life and you're just like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do this. And that is, you're a rock star. That is so cool. That is a, that's a great example for people to follow. Not only will you beat this, you know, you're going to, to turn this into something even better. And yeah, you know, this is your pursuit of happiness now. And, you know, it's not the life that you is, yeah. thought, you know, your blueprint didn't go according to plan, but you know, I think yeah. you have the hope that your life is going to be even better now after this and the appreciation and gratefulness you'll probably have now is, is immeasurable. Yeah. So that's so yeah. cool. good for you. Adapt and overcome as they say. Good for you. This is freaking awesome. And I want you back on. <laughs> I want you back on later. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll do a follow-up, see how things are going and see what else is, you have in store for the future and, you know, pub yeah. your book and everything. I, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Honestly, I'll Fran. send you the first copy. <laughs> yes. I want it signed, please. Uh, yes. <laughs> this is so cool. Thank you. I know, I know, I know you helped so many people today. This is awesome. I'm really happy to have been able to do this with you. No, good. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Come on. Yes. This is awesome. So Fran, yeah. thank you so much again. I will let you go now, but I know there's more we can dive into later when I have you back on. So keep kicking ass. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Just let me know whenever and I'm um, happy to dive into more. Thank you, friend. All right. You can follow me at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. And I hope you learned something today. I know you actually have. So once again, thank you. Have have a good day. How badass is Fran? She is such a warrior and such a fighter. She also has a perspective that we can all learn from. And please take a moment to look into the show notes where I will link every organization or person that she mentioned during this podcast to help research on cancer. I will definitely be having Fran on in the near future to get a follow-up and make sure she's still kicking ass. But once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Please subscribe and leave a rating and I'll catch you next time.